I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Phil. Hi, everyone. My name is Bill, and I am a recovering compulsive overeater. And I'm very happy to be here tonight. And uh, even despite the rain, the late season rain, it's, was, it's been um, a really good day to get to come up here and uh, uh, be present. And I'm very happy to have at least one person in the room I know and from, from many years in the program. And thank you, Frank, for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a long time since I've done a share as long as this, and um, and and I I have to admit, you know, right off the bat, that I'm getting a little nervous right before I came up to do this. And uh, it was what I what I do when I get this way is I try to turn it over to God, and I try to say, "Okay, God, please speak through me." I have no idea where people are in their abstinence or in their recovery. People are probably in different places in the room. I have no idea if I will say anything that will help anybody. But what I can do is I can share my experience, strength, and hope. And probably at least somebody will identify with something. Um, I had an experience, and it was a pretty dramatic experience that brings home the severity of this disease. Uh, one time I shared it at a meeting, and somebody came up to me after the meeting and said, I really liked what you had to say. Would you be my sponsor? And I said, yes. And he started calling me. And it was clear that, that he had a lot of problems in his life. Um, but he was working on them, and he, and he was abstaining, and he was you know, really trying to deal with it. And um, finally, uh, he called me about three weeks in, and he said, you know, um, my wife just kicked me out of the house, and, and I don't know... I don't know what I can do. And I usually have a pretty hard and fast rule about you know, I don't loan money to sponsees and I don't let sponsees stay with me. But I said, if you need something short term, you know, you can, you can come and stay with me. Um, he thanked me and we ended the conversation. Uh, the next morning, I didn't hear from him. And uh, probably a little bit later than usual, uh, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and a woman's voice was on the other end, and she identified herself as his wife, and she told me that he'd committed suicide. And, you know, I felt terrible. You know, was it something that I didn't do? Uh, was it something that I didn't say? Um, and, you know, here was somebody who was new in abstinence, who was trying to put his life back together, and it didn't work. And I had to call somebody in the program who immediately said to me, Bill, it's not your fault. Get that through your head. It's not your fault. You did the best you could. You shared your experience, strength, and hope. And the interesting thing was that, that several years later, I got to tell this story at, at the OA birthday party. And, uh, and at the end of my share, somebody came rushing up out of, out of the audience and said, was that person's name, and then she named she gave me a name, and I said yes. And she said, oh, I'm his mother-in-law. And I can tell you more about what really went on. And what I got to learn was that I said something at that first meeting that I just sort of tossed off, and he connected with it. And that's why he came up and asked me to, to be his sponsor. And he had a lot more problems than, than, than I realized. And um, it wasn't my fault. So... 
let me just share what my experience, strength, and hope is. And if, if something I say connects for you, um, I, I'll be very pleased about that. And, you know, this is definitely a take what you like and leave the rest program. I don't want to spend a lot of time qualifying as a compulsive overeater, but I will tell you that I am one. Uh, I probably have been one since birth. Uh, I came upon my, um, I came upon a baby book at one point in going through some things, and, uh, and, and there was a picture of my mother holding me and feeding me at a very early age, and my father had written in the baby book, there he is, eating again. <clears throat> <laughs> And I don't know, you know, whether that was that had anything to do with my compulsive overeating. Uh, it could have had something to do with the way my my family reacted to food. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but food was definitely a comfort for me. Uh, I can remember very early on being uh, craving sugar. I was one of those kids who put sugar on the sugar frosted flakes because it wasn't sweet enough. And, and they say that, you know, you, you crave what you're allergic to, and I am definitely allergic to sugar. There is, there is no question about it. Um, I was an on-and-off fat child and, and fat adolescent. I would gain weight and then lose it again. Um, and I did that a lot until uh, I finally ballooned to the point where I couldn't stand it any longer. And... Uh, um, and actually, physically, the way I got into this program was I started having dizzy spells. And they got bad enough that, uh, that I would be driving the car and they, one would come on and I'd have to pull off to the side of the road and get out and walk around. And hospitals did. I went to the emergency room in the hospital. They did some tests. They put me on one medication that worked for a while and, and then it stopped working. And we did about a year of this. And finally, I ended up... Uh, with a doctor who did a glucose tolerance test and said, well, you know, you're not diabetic, but you could become diabetic. Um, you really should stop eating sugar. And, uh, and basically his solution was to give me a, a sugar-free food plan and for, aim for diabetics and then to give me a prescription of Valium because he said you have too much stress in your life. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of know that my higher power takes care of me because right about that time when he gave he put me on this food plan and I'd lost weight before and I'd always gained it back uh, and I knew I had a lot of stress in my life and I was pretty crazy around food at that at that particular point in my life and I didn't realize it but I was crazy in other ways too um, there was a notice in the paper that a group of overeaters anonymous was forming well I wanted help but I didn't want to admit that I needed help. I was raised to be pretty self-sufficient. Food was a comfort, you know. We had family dinners. We 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 would, but and, but our family tensions would all be played out at those dinners, and I would hide in the food. My mother was not a great cook, but she always liked it when you asked for seconds. So, you know, I asked for seconds, and and I started forming those those kind of patterns, and I learned that as I went along in the program that that, that that's what had happened. So I was ashamed of all this, and I didn't want to admit that I needed help. So here was this anonymous program. I really didn't know anything else about it other than it was anonymous. And so I called up the number that was in the paper, and the person who was starting the meeting, and it turned out it was somebody I knew, so there went the anonymous part. Um, but um, but I, went to, I went to my first meeting, 
in uh, on the first Saturday of August in, in 1977, and I was already free of sugar at that particular point. And I can tell you that that I'm still free of sugar. Um, that that my abstinence is 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 not eating my binge foods. Um, I've, divi- I've over time I've ended up dividing abstinence up into a couple of different things. There's the the bottom line abstinence is the binge foods that I just don't eat. And and then I have a food plan. And the food plan is not my abstinence. The food plan is the positive things I try to do for myself every day in terms of eating. And if I mess up on that, I haven't broken my abstinence. But, you know, it's, it's the goal I aim for on a daily basis. And then I have a, a recovery plan as well. And those are the kinds of spiritual things that I try to put in, into my life on a daily basis. Because, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about the goal of the book and everything that's in the book is not to is is not to stop you from drinking there's nothing about stopping drinking although the stories talk about people wanting to stop drinking the big book says that right there in the introduction to it that what it's about is to help you have a spiritual experience and and so I have to have a part of my program that is aimed at helping me to have a a spiritual experience on a daily basis and to deepen that spiritual experience so so those are all the parts of it. But, boy, that came a lot later. It, 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 the beginning, it was just real simple. It was, it was I'd been given this food plan by a doctor, and I needed to follow it, and I needed to take my Valium, and I needed to talk to people because, because I figured I couldn't do it by myself. And so I went to this meeting uh, on the first Saturday of August in 1977, and they had a speaker from AA. And the speaker came in, and he told his story, and I didn't identify at all. I mean, he had been on the streets of Detroit. He'd he'd been homeless a lot. He uh, he'd really been down in the dumps. And I was, you know, this person who'd grown up in a middle class family who who had a weight problem all of his life, and who'd been having these dizzy spells that that stopping eating sugar had had stopped. So um, I was looking to to not go back to sugar, and I was also looking to. Uh, to lose some weight, and uh, I didn't know exactly why this guy could help me uh, with his story, but he did do something that that no one else I have ever heard do. Uh, uh, he spoke for about an hour and a half, first of all, <laughs> and and secondly, he went through the entire program. He went through all of the steps, and he talked about each step individually, and he talked about how he'd worked it. Now, of course, you know. All of that didn't sink in for somebody who was just a, a total newcomer and really had no idea what, what this program was about. But what impressed me was that there was a program and that there was something more than a diet. Because I had done the diet, you know, and I would lost weight and I had done diet pills and I had done all the other stuff. And, and I abused diet pills even. I had to be put on a course of, of sulfa at one point to come down from the diet pills. And... So I knew that there was there had to be something going on with these steps, the steps business, and and but it was kind of like okay, well, how do you do it? And we were all newcomers. There was no other OA in this town. Uh, there were the, the woman who started it was an alcoholism counselor, and uh, she had seen AA work, and and had been going to AA meetings to kind of learn something about how to deal with her own food problem and decided she needed a place where people, where people were talking about food rather than alcohol. So we struggled. 
in that meeting, we 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 had these endless discussions about, you know, how do we how do we work this program? But you know what? It did start working for people. Just getting together each week and talking about it and reading the literature and and trying to follow some kind of a path started to work. Um, but looking back at it, we were all struggling, myself included. I lost weight at that particular time. I did I did real well. Um, but I knew I was still crazy, and and I I read through the steps, and I tried to work them the best I could. But here's what I did. Uh, on the first step, I easily admitted that I was powerless over food. Uh, I did not want to admit that my life had become unmanageable. I wanted to admit that that I had a food problem, and that if I could get some help with my food problem, everything would be great. I didn't want to admit that the rest of my life was crazy, and it was. It, it was literally crazy, but, but I didn't want to admit that. It took, and what that is for me is a symptom of one of my primary character defects, which is false pride. Uh, I am somewhat caught up in myself when, when I want to be, when I'm not careful about it, <laughs> and, and I, can, I, will end up, um, I will end up resisting. I can get into, into big-time denial about my problems. And, and it takes hitting me over the head to get anything done. And my history in OA is that I got hit over the head, you know, and then I would make progress. And then I'd float along for a while, and I'd get hit over the head again, and, and, and I would make more progress. Uh, fortunately, I've been hit over the head enough times that, you know, now I seem to make progress more on my own than than having to have those kinds of things happen to me anymore. But that's what, that was the pattern for a number of years in this program. Um, the second step I looked at and I said, yes, I, I saw it as I had to believe in God. And I had grown up believing in God, but I had stopped doing any kind of spiritual practice for about 15 years uh, once I got to college. Uh, I drifted away from it and just, you know, and, and I thought, well, but I've never stopped believing in God. So I guess I fulfilled the second step. Now, and I didn't realize that this program is a process that, that I've got to come to believe out of being powerless that, that there is something out there that can, that can help me with this. Uh, and I've, and, and that's all it takes, is it by believing that there's something out there. It doesn't matter what the nature of it was. I thought it had to be my concept of God. I'll come back and I'll talk about my concept of God and how it's changed. But let me, let me just talk a little bit about getting going. Um, and, I, and I thought, well, you know, okay, I never stopped believing in God, even though I haven't gone to church in years and, and you know, I'm really not all that happy with church and any of that kind of stuff. And so I said, okay, I can move on. Since I believe in God, I can move on. I, got to, I looked at the third step, and it said, turn your will and your life over. And I, I read that from uh, the Christian tradition that I grew up with and, 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 and kind of a, a revivalist. You've got to, you know, you're out by the campfire, and, and, and they're giving this emotional speech, and, and you, they call for people to come forward, and, and you come forward and commit your life. And, and, and once you've done that, you've been born again, and, and you know, everything is, is wonderful, and, and, and you're in God's hands. And, and, I, and I thought, well, you know, I did that in high school camp, 
And so I guess I'm I guess I've worked the third step too. You know, not realizing that again it comes out of this whole process of feeling powerless and then being willing to let go of that and be willing to let a power greater than myself take over. So I said, Okay, I must be on the inventory and I started to write an inventory and I started several times and I never got anywhere. And it, and I thought, this must be the I must not have the right form. It, it, it's, it, maybe if I had the right form, exactly the right form, this would work. And so I started looking for the right form. And in the meantime, my life had progressed to the point here, my powerlessness had progressed to the point in the town where I was living that I decided to take another job, <laughs> and, I, and I moved. And, um, and I moved to a city that had stronger OA, and I started going to, to more meetings, and I went to a, a regional convention, and, and I went to this one panel, and I listened to one of the panelists, and she was talking about turning it over all the time. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And so I went up to her afterward, and, and here I was, more than a year in the program, and I really had no clue. And, and I went to, up to her, and I said, you know, what are you talking about? And she said, well, that's the third step. You've got to turn this over. You've got to turn that over. You've got to turn the other thing over. And I said, really? Oh, Okay. So I had to go back and I had to rethink. And that rethinking was the start of a spiritual experience. And it came out of being new in a city, uh, being very lonely, feeling like I was in a lot of despair, and finally just kind of walking along and, and, and literally deciding to give up and let God take it. And, you know, I, I remember very clearly making that decision that, okay, I really can't do this anymore. And I don't want to go through the whole long story, but what, what happened was a whole bunch of events got put in my life to, so that emotionally I became very desperate. And I said, I have to write this fourth step. And I sat down one day on a weekend, and I started writing, and I didn't stop until I had finished all the writing. Of course, I didn't think I had really finished, and, and I hadn't. I, you know, as it turned out, I, it, was, it was just a good effort. But I sat on it for a few months and finally decided I needed to do a fifth step. Um, so I, I went to a priest. I made an appointment with a priest. I'm not Catholic, but I made an appointment with the priest who I knew I'd never see again. <laughs> and and I went through this. By the way, I found a form. Uh, and so I went through the, the book the booklet and, and, and you know went through all the things in the booklet. And I got to resentments. And 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 I didn't have anything written down. Because I didn't think I had any resentments. You know, I was this really good kid who you know, who didn't, who really didn't, didn't resent people at all. And that was, you know, kind of an indication of the level of denial that I had. Uh, and the priest asked me, are you sure? Are you sure you don't have any resentments at all? And I said, no, I, I don't think so. And he said, don't you resent your parents just a little bit? And I started to cry. And I realized that you know, that I hadn't completed it. You know, that there was still more to do. To be honest, it took 12 years. 
and several inventories and trying a whole bunch of different forms. And you know which one worked? It was the one that was based on chapter 5 in the big book. <laughs> that was the one that worked. And I resisted that one because it was based on resentments, and I didn't have any resentments. And, and finally, what I had to do was I had to, I had to say that, okay, I may not have resentments, but um, let me think of all the people that I still have feelings about in my life. And I'll call those feelings a resentment. And I'll just arbitrarily define it that way. And, and then I can write down, you know, I'm resentful towards so-and-so. And, and, I, and I substitute, I have feeling about so-and-so, and here's why. And then I could, and I could check the things off. And I could do that. You know, I could list that all out. And that was the most thorough inventory I ever did. And that was the last one. That was, that was the last big inventory that I had to do. And, and it went on for pages and pages and pages and pages. But I identified 25 character defects out of that inventory. And I sat down and I worked a six-step. And that was kind, kind of hard because I didn't want to give up all of those character defects. I really didn't. Um, I'd grown accustomed to them. And... And it's back to not wanting to admit that, that you know, my life is unmanageable. Um, I want to keep in control of my life. I really don't want to let anybody else control my life. And I still struggle with that. But I was able to pray to have those character defects removed. And I prayed each for each one. And... Um, and then I prayed the seven-step prayer. And for the first time in the program, you know, they say that, that you oftentimes feel these great weights removed from you. For the first time in the program, 12 years in, I felt a great weight being removed from me. That first inventory, by the way, I thought there must have been some really horrible stuff in it because I, uh, I, 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 I burned up the inventory after I had given it and uh, to the priest. And I... And I I stuffed the the ashes down the drain and it clogged the drain. So I so <laughs> I figured I must have been trying to get rid of a lot of junk there. But um, by the time I I did the last one, it was more of a celebration. It was more of okay, these are the this is re I'm really down to it. These are the things in my life that I haven't wanted to deal with. These are the people in my life that that I I have all this feeling about, and I had to. I had to work through, in terms of, of making amends, I had to work through a whole feeling of, what did I re did I really harm these people, or am I just feeling inferior? Am I just feeling much very less than? And in a lot of cases, I, it was me feeling less than. And and I and there in some cases, I guess I legitimately harmed people, and I and I had to make some amends and, and, and wanted to do it, you know, was anxious to do it as quickly as possible. But um, but I but a lot of it was was me. A lot of it was, you know, I had feelings about this person because I thought they didn't like me, you know, or I thought I'd, you know, somehow um, they they were judging me. And and I resented that. I resented feeling like I was being judged. And what I've learned as I've gone along in the program is that I have to let go of that. Um, people will judge me. 
It's a fact of life. I can't control what people will think of me, though I'd like to try. Uh, what I can do is I can let go of it. I can try to act uh, as spiritually as possible. I can try to, to keep my own side of the street clean as much as possible. And I can, I can keep track of that. You know, 10th step is wonderful for that. The 10th step, I think, essentially says that, that you go back and you work 4, 5, 6, and 7 as needed. And sometimes it's on a daily basis and, and you get rid of stuff that just went on, actually 4, four through 9 as needed. And, and then you go ahead and, and sometimes you have to go back and do a little more extensive inventory. And I've done, I've done those too. But nothing like uh, with my sexuality as a character defect. And, and it didn't get removed after I'd prayed for it. And what I had to do was keep examining how to, how to deal with it. And finally I went to a meeting and heard somebody sharing on the exact problem. And I went up and talked to him afterwards. And he 12-stepped me into another program. And I've been sober in that program for 13 years now. So, um, you know, it's bit by bit. And it's, it's how things are arranged. Letting go seems to be the key. It's the hardest thing in the world for me, but it does seem to be the key to working the program. I also had to change my concept of God. Um, I had, I thought of God very much as my father. Uh, my father was somebody who disapproved of me a lot when I was growing up. I think he, I think he probably realized that I was gay, and it scared him. And he disapproved of that, so he disapproved of me and, and wanted to push me to be more like a man, so, so he kept pushing me to, to work harder uh, and to do more things. And so um, I tried to respond to that. You know, I tried my best to please my father. And I really always felt that I didn't succeed. Finally, toward the end of his life, I, I, I gave my parents a um, picture of me. And uh, they hung it up in the dining room of their house. And, and I thought, well, that's really nice. They gave it to them for Christmas, and it'll be gone. They have a picture gallery of all the kids in a different place, and, and you know, it'll, go, it'll migrate there. Several months later, I went back, and it was still hanging there. And I asked my mother about it. I said, why? Hasn't, why, is, why is my picture still here? Why hasn't it gone to the gallery? And she said, your father wanted it to stay there. He said he wanted to be able to look at your picture when he was having breakfast in, in the morning. That was really the first time I felt that my father approved of me. As you can tell, it's still <laughs> an emotional experience for me just to talk about it. Um... And he did the same thing with God. You know, I thought that God was always judging me. And that God really didn't approve of me. And that what I had to do was I had to earn God's approval. And so if I was good, God would put good things in my life. And if I didn't meet up to God's standards, God would punish me. Uh, I saw compulsive overeating as God's punishment for me. You know what? It isn't. Compulsive overeating is a disease. I have an allergy towards certain food, and I can't eat them. And that has 
that and, and all the other factors that happened in my life have created these compulsions about about wanting to overeat. And and all I can do is get a daily reprieve from that. All I can do is a day at a time work my program. And I, what I have to do is my best and turn over the results. What I believe about God right now is that God puts gifts in my life. God exists to put gifts in my life. Uh, God wants me wants me to have good things in my life. And what happens is that God puts gifts in my life all the time, but a lot of times I can't see them. When I was looking at my life before program, I realized that God gave me a number of opportunities to recover. God put people in my life who potentially could help me recover, and I didn't let them do that. It was only when I was ready, when I had really hit bottom physically, that I was able to to accept the fact that that God put this group of Overeaters Anonymous that formed out of nothing uh, in, uh, into allowed me to be to be in that group, allowed me to go to that first meeting and listen to that hour and a half presentation on the steps and to say, you know what, there's something to this. There's something that works about this. So I believe that God puts gifts in my life. I don't believe that God punishes me. I believe that God allows bad things to happen to me because what, when bad things do happen to me, I'll appreciate the gifts more. So, I think that God's out there wanting the best for me. And I think that, that what I get to do is to be willing to accept that. And my level of willingness to do that is not always there. You know, because I'm still in the mentality that I have to work hard, and if I do well, that God will reward me with the things that I want in my life. And the answer is no, that I get what I need, not what I want. And, and what I get to do is I get to live a spiritual life to the best of my ability today. And, and as I do that, more gets revealed. And I get to be able to be ready to have the gifts that God has out there for me in my life. Um, the writers of the big book talked about these gifts in the form of the promises. And, and they talked about them as gifts that people in the program felt that they had been given. Not as a reward for working in the program, but because those gifts are out there. Just simply out there. And that those happen by having a spiritual experience. Those gifts happen to me as, I, as my spiritual experience deepens. So I believe that the last three steps are, that are steps that can be worked at any time in the program. They are steps that, that newcomers can work to the best of their ability. Uh, we can look at our behavior on a daily basis and see what we did wrong and try to make, make that better on a daily basis. We can pray and meditate on a daily basis and attempt to deepen our relationship with power greater than ourselves and, and to understand that. We can share our own spiritual experience at whatever level we have it on a daily basis with other people. We can reach out to other people. It is true that just showing up at a meeting is service to other people because, because it is, we are in the fight by just being here, we're testifying that there's something here. There's some kind of spiritual thing that's going on here. You know, it's different for every person. 
it happens differently in every person's life, but it's here. Um, I'm not always, you know, willing to accept that in my life, but I do on a daily basis uh, attempt to pray, to talk to God, to to tell God about what's going on with my life, to look at my life, examine it, and and see if I need to do better, see if I need to uh, make amends to anybody, make anything right. Um, I do work with other people, and what that reminds me, in terms of working with other people, it reminds me about the different ways we all have of getting through the program. It also reminds me about how the steps work in my own life, because then I can share my experience, strength, and hope with those other people. So... Those are and and I get and I get to continue to be a member of this program because I really do get a daily reprieve from 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 whatever it is. And some days are better than others, and some whole spans of days are better than others. Um, and and I, you know, there are times when I don't do as well. There really are. There, life is is that way. But and there are times when I doubt what God wants in my life. But I really appreciate the opportunity to speak here today because what it forced me to do is to sit down and, and try to examine what, what is my program today? What can I share with you? And, and to come to the conclusion that my, that my program really is a gift from my higher power. And, and that gift is is given freely, given without condition, uh, given not necessarily without struggle on my part, but it's not a reward. It's a gift. I can always have it. And I just have to be ready for it. The steps of the process for becoming ready. Uh, and they are, they are very specific in terms of, of, of telling us how we should get ready. But it keeps coming back to the idea of I have to let it go and turn it over, and then I have to do some footwork. And then I have to let it go again. So I do the footwork and I turn over the results. And I'm not always real great at that, you know? As I said, I'm still the guy who didn't want to admit that my life was unmanageable. I will now at least say those words. My life is unmanageable on a daily basis, but I didn't. I, I still want to control things. You know, I was raised to be self-sufficient. I was raised to, to not need other people. And that's been a huge issue in my life because, because I've acted like I don't need other people, so I don't get other people. I get a lot of other people in my life, but I've, but I've never had an intimate relationship, for example. Never had a romantic relationship in my life. My life is not perfect. I any stretch of the imagination. I probably work too hard. I probably hide in my work, you know, more than anything else. Um, I allow anxiety to get the best of me. Um, I don't turn everything over to God. I wish I did. I wish I was was a totally spiritual person. Um, But I keep coming back. And what happens is that as other people share with me, I hear stuff. Because that's how God talks to me. God talks to me through other people. As people share their own experience, strength, and hope, and as I identify with that, I get stuff from my own life. So I hope I've been able to say something today that, that resonated with you. And 
I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I'll be happy to uh, take your questions. Thank you for letting me share. So this question is about step eight and how to talk about do I how to decide to whom you owe amends. Um, step eight says made a list. It, it, it's in two parts. It says made a list of all people we had harmed, and then the second part was and then became willing to make amends to them all. Well, I actually make put that into three parts. I make a list of of all the people that I feel maybe I owe amends to. And and I do that first, just just make a complete list, and then and then in fact I like the format for the fourth step where where you work down the columns, you know, where you put down all the names of the people you have resentments toward, and then you go back and put down why, you know, and then you go back and put down how what it affects, and then you put down you write down what your part is. Um, I think that's a wonderful format. So I try to do that with the eighth step. And, and, and list all the people that I think maybe I'd harmed. And then after I've got this list, then I'd go back and, and, and write, now how exactly have I harmed them? You know, in what have I done to harm them? And, and, and I'd examine, I, I'd encourage my sponsees to examine that and say, is that really harm? You know, was this person really harmed by my actions? And if they were, you know, then, we have to figure out, okay, well, what is appropriate in terms of making an amends, and are you willing to do that, um, uh, and are you ready to do that? But it may well be that after thinking about it, it's, 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 I'm putting this name down, and I can't think of any reason that I'd harm them, but somehow I've got it in my head that maybe I did because of how they react to, how they react to me. Amends, the amends process is not, in my opinion, about... Um, making people like me. The amends process is rectifying harm. And, and so, you know, it's, it's done for me. It, it's whether the other person responds well or not is not my business. Uh, so, so I have to know exactly what I'm making amends for. So I have to have written down what, what did I do to harm them? Uh, that, and sometimes, you know, Sometimes it is vague. It's like with my parents. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have a whole lot of specific things I could write down, but I, but I wrote down that, uh, that, that I felt I hadn't lived my life well enough for, the, for them. Now, looking back at that, that's probably not a really good thing to make amends for. But the way I made amends was to buy them an unexpected gift and to tell them I loved them. And, and, and that was that was wonderful. It was a wonderful moment when I did. It was wonderful for everybody, and it did help in in everybody in a healing process. So I think we're led, you know, on those kinds of things. And maybe you know maybe the harm isn't going to be as as substantial, but I think it it I think it it's worth. This is this is a step where I think having another person to help is really important. You know, having somebody to to listen to you as you tell them. You know, well, I, 
this is this is who I've got down here, and this is what I think I did to harm them, and have people you know willing to question that, and and then to take you to the next step of what you know, what is it? What's the specific thing I have to do in order to make amends? And you know, and then it's becoming ready to do it and actually going out and doing it. Does that does it cover it? Okay, great. Yes. Okay. The the question is, do I go back and start the steps over again, or or once I've done them once? And and I think the steps anticipate that essentially. Um, I think 10, 11, and 12 anticipate that. 10 for me is essentially go back and work four through nine as needed. 11 is go back and work step three as needed. Uh, basically, you know, and 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 12 is is go back and work step one as needed. <laughs> one and two is needed, but do but do it with other people. You know, do it by helping other people. Remind yourself on a daily basis that you're powerless. And, and that your life is unmanageable. Some people find it to be, especially after they've had some time in the program and think more things have come up. I mean, certainly, as I said, that first inventory, it was the best effort I could do at the time, but it wasn't anywhere close to what the last inventory was like. So, um, so, so I would... You know, some people find it to be really useful to go back and start the steps over again and and maybe do it in a structured process, do it with somebody. Some people like working through the workbook as a way of doing it. Um, you know, different people will, will do it in a different way or try a different way of working the steps. Um, all of those things are useful. But, you know, I think the steps and the people who wrote the steps anticipated that they only needed to be worked once and and that you could go back and using steps 10 11 and 12 you could go back as needed and 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 do more so it's just it's i think it's more a matter of semantics and and what ends up uh emotionally and spiritually working for you in terms of, of deepening your spiritual experiences as, as as you go through the steps if you want to start over i think it's perfectly fine mm-hmm. yes Okay, thank you. Um, the question is, what what kinds of spiritual disciplines do I use? I wish I was more disciplined than I am, uh, to be honest with you. I, I try to pray every morning. Uh, I try to pray again in the evening. I try to be in, in contact with my, with my higher power on a daily basis. I think I do a reasonably good job with that. Uh, I oftentimes am able to talk to somebody in the program on a daily basis, uh, which also keeps me in touch and, and, and helps with that. Um, I actually, and I didn't talk about this in my share, but I actually went back to church and and have struggled still with institutionalized religion, have, have struggled with it for a long time, have changed denominations, still not convinced that even the one where I'm attending right now is the right one. But, um, but I found institutionalized church and the, pra- and the discipline involved in, in going and participating in that to be helpful to me. 
and uh, uh, even because it forces me to struggle with the issues that made that made me leave it in the first place. It also forces me to struggle with my concept of my higher power. Um, that we just had somebody new, a new worship leader, come to the church, and he was introducing himself to the congregation, and and he said that he had been through a time when he questioned uh, his belief. Uh, completely, and uh, he'd gone off to a retreat center and had sought spiritual direction, and that essentially um, what he was told was to spend some time each day uh, in contact with God just saying, help, 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 and nothing more than that, just something very simple. Um, I try to keep in touch with needs of other people. Sometimes that's overwhelming. I have I'm on an email list where people are 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 talking about people who need praying for and 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 you know what they are and what's going on with them. I try to keep in, in touch with people that I know and care about and and pray for their needs. In terms of my own needs, I try to talk about well, this is what's going on in my life, God. Now Thy will be done, uh, and and to let go of it. Um, Writing works really well for me when I'm willing to do it, but I'm usually not willing to do it. That that was one of those hit me over the head, you know. Uh, 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 you know, when I'm really in a bad place, I'll sit down and write. And and my sponsor's telling me I need to write again, and I'm resisting it. But <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to do it because because he's right. Uh, so those are all spiritual disciplines. Um, I don't practice them perfectly by any means I do try to do something each day and I think I think that helps mm -hmm. yes did you have any against God? yes did I have any resentments against God yes <laughs> I didn't even repeat it <laughs> for you yes enormously um, and, and and you know what and I didn't know that until about 12 years in <laughs> you know in doing that big inventory um and what and what I was told was um, uh, was it's okay to resent God because God can take it. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> God can take it, and because I thought it was horrible to, to be resentful of God, you know. But but once I was told that, it was sort of oh, well that's true. <laughs> you know, if, if if God is my higher power, God can take whatever I've got here, and I can just go ahead and, and let go of that anger, and and uh, you know, and and let go of, of of God not necessarily working in my life in the ways that I would like God to work, and um, uh, I still struggle with that, you know, on a daily basis, and I still allow myself to be mad at God, you know, as a result, and and that helps. Yeah, it really does. I think we're done. Mm -hmm.